Hello, everybody. Welcome to our Friday preview edition of the Orange Brown Talk podcast. Browns and Cardinals at 1 o'clock on Sunday. Uh, the usual stuff coming your way. Lance Reisland is going to break down the film. He has done more work on Clayton Toon than anyone. So we're going to really dig into Clayton Toon. That is not a joke. We're going to talk a lot of Clayton Toon. Um, Tyler Shoemaker is going to join us. He will give us his picks, his best bets. Uh, not a lot of prop bets in this game yet, but he's going to find something for us. And then we're going to make our picks at the end. And of course, we being uh, me, Dan Lobby, then Mary Kay Cabot, Ashley Bastock will make our game picks. But first, our opening segment here on the preview pod. Let's talk what else. Deshaun Watson, Mary Kay, he spoke today. What was your big takeaway? My big takeaway was that, you know, he really put it on his own shoulders that he came back for that Colts game. And, uh, and he said he jumped the gun. And he, he wanted to be ready. He wanted to go out there and play. And, you know, he was the one that made that decision. And I thought that was, that was very interesting. And I think there's been pressure on him to get out there and play. People wondered, you know, people were starting to say, does he want to play? And, uh, you know, I, so I think he may have, you know, pressed it a little bit when he wasn't really ready. Well, now he's not going to do that. He is going to let the experts weigh in on this. He's going to give, you know, his feedback, uh, but he's going to let the medical staff and Kevin Stefanski decide if he's ready to play. The last thing Kevin Stefanski wants to have to do is pull his quarterback out of the game again. By the same token, they want their QB1 uh, to be out there playing as much as he possibly can. That was a very interesting revelation, Ashley, because... and. We talked about this real quickly on the video, but it sort of jives with everything that happened since the Indy game when Kevin came out very quickly and said P.J. Walker's going to start against Seattle. He didn't mess around. Um, you know, I thought that I thought that meant something at the time, and kind of now when you had this, that's just another piece of the puzzle to put together. It all sort of makes sense, and, and with how Kevin really quickly pulled Deshaun when it just was not working. And I know he said it was because of a hit. He didn't like the hit, but also I think a part of it was like, Deshaun just wasn't playing well. Like, he just didn't have it. So it all sort of, if that's the explanation, if if that's completely true, it all sort of puts that puzzle together a little easier. And it just also, like, tracks with everything we know about Deshaun and his injury history, you know, leading up to this. And the fact that he did play on a torn ACL when he had to in college. The fact that he, and this is the last time this joke will come up, drove on a bus to play in a game that he was not medically cleared to fly for when he had a punctured lung. He did not drive the bus, as I once mistakenly said on this <laughs> podcast. But he was the kind of guy that would do that stuff, right? So I think, like, in a lot of, you know, t- Twitter angst, that those facts were getting lost and people kind of turned the narrative into, oh, well, maybe he doesn't want to be here and there's some conspiracy going on. I do think we talked about it at the time that that was a big part of the reason why he chose to talk last week, even though... He didn't know if he was, well, he knew he wasn't going to be playing since they named PJ the starter for that game. Um, But I think it it makes sense. Like, he wanted to come back as soon as he could. He realized, oh, wait, this injury is not like anything I've dealt with before. He talked about that last week, but there's no real comp for it among quarterbacks. So I think in a lot of ways, everyone, including him, is a little bit in the dark in terms of timeline. And he just wanted to go out there and get back as soon as he could. It was too late. They realized their mistake. And now here we are two weeks later. Okay, so the overarching question in this game is, will Deshaun Watson start on Sunday? We've watched him throw a couple days in a row. By the time you you are listening to this, maybe we've seen him throw on Friday. I don't know if we're going to get an answer to that question on Friday. I'm, I'm, I'm like I'm assuming he's going to he's going to be questionable for the game. Now maybe Kevin will say he's going to. I don't know. I don't know how that's all going to play out. But 
Um, so it'll depend on when you hear this, if we know an answer to that or not. But Mary Kay, right now on Thursday night around like five, what do you think he's going to play Sunday? Well, I just took an informal poll <laughs> yes. in the in the media room, and there were about five of us in there, uh, five of us that have watched him practice over the last two days. And I asked everyone to raise their hand if they thought Deshaun Watson was going to play against the Cardinals. And four out of five of us raised our hands. One, one reporter was stretching, and I'm not really sure <laughs> what that was. Um, but um, but most of us, I think, believe that because we watched him take the first team reps in these practices, that he's probably going to play. Now, again, some of it can be gamesmanship. What if when we leave the practice, he's not running the show? He was limited. We do know that. So what does that mean? When they get to 11 on 11s, is he no longer taking the first team reps? Is he just doing it for show when we're out there? I mean, stranger things have happened in the world of the NFL. So we are not entirely certain, but it does sort of seem like it's trending that way. But Ashley, I'm going to use my phrase again. Nothing has gone according to Hoyle in this whole entire situation. And anytime you try to make a guess... Uh, you know, you're possibly going to be completely dead wrong. So I don't know if he's going to play on Sunday. I guess if I had to absolutely give my opinion right now at this moment, I'd probably say yes, but I don't feel that good about it. I think, and again, this is because we're recording this Thursday, we'll have seen some of this when some of you hear this, but Friday is going to be telling because we see the individual portion during practice. So it would be very easy for Deshaun to take a lot of those reps and be the first guy up because he needs them, right? He, he needs to get those throws in. P.J. Walker, DTR, they have done. They can kind of get away maybe without those. But on Friday, they do those Friday routes. And those are the routes that, you know, we see the routes in practice. And then lo and behold, they get down in the red zone in the game. And, oh, yeah, I remember that route or I've seen that route before. So they, a lot of times they don't even let us shoot video of those routes. That's how super like secret they are. So I think Friday is going to be real telling, Ashley, if we're seeing Deshaun Watson out there throwing those routes, like kind of we, like we did before the Baltimore game. Well, actually, no, he didn't throw those routes before the Baltimore game. Um, but if we see him out there throwing those routes tomorrow or Friday, that, that'll, that might kind of give us our answer. Yeah, because we know like how many of those routes, you know, you can be sitting there on Sunday and be like, oh, yeah, I remember that route. I saw it on Friday. And that's obviously why we're not allowed uh, to film that portion. But yeah, I mean, I think that would be telling. And I've been saying it, you know, it's kind of hard for me right now to read too much into how he looks in practice means translating that into what it's going to look like on Sunday in a game, because I think everyone came away from that Friday practice before the Colts thinking he looked better. And then he went out there during a game and it was just a disaster. So it's hard for me to put too much stock into, well, this is what this means in terms of how he's going to look. But the way everything is trending, it's trending in a positive direction towards him at least trying to play. Now, whether I think that's a good idea, I've gone back and forth on all week. I think I actually wrote a newsletter on Wednesday for our Football Insider subscribers saying I thought they should make a quick decision again um, because I get wanting to have, you know, we talked about yesterday, that tune-up before two division games. But at the same time, it's like if he's not 100% ready, I don't think it's worth rushing him. So I guess we'll get a better picture on Friday. <laughs> okay, so I, I guess the, the big concern here is 
you know, we, we've been through this before. Where we've gone out there. We've watched him throw. It looks good. Okay. You know, a couple Fridays ago, we came away knowing, yeah, he's going to play. And of course he did. But of course, that was the Colts game. And then he takes that one hit and he's he's done after that. So Mary Kay, how do the Browns balance this idea of they're trying to figure out if he can play on Sunday, but they aren't really, I almost feel like they're not really going to know until he actually starts playing on Sunday. Like they need to know how it looks with pads on, with a defense rushing him, with a secondary trying to pick him off. I, I don't even know if they can know the answer until they kind of see him on the field. I think regardless of when he comes back, whether it's this week or, or Ravens week, there there's some level of risk that you could get out there on Sunday and it could look like it did against the Colts. Yeah, that's very true. And I, you know, I think that is kind of baked into his return a little bit. I think they have to understand that what they don't know is how is he going to respond when he takes a hit again? And that's basically what happened to him in the Colts game is, you know, he looked, he did not look himself in the beginning, uh, but the hit is what ultimately knocked him out of the game. It was a setback. And, uh, you know, maybe it was just an excuse for Kevin to get him on out of there. Um, but that was the, you know, the ultimate blow that kind of yanked him out of that game. So the thing about the Cardinals is they do come from everywhere. I mean, these guys uh, can sack the quarterback. Jonathan Gannon is a good defensive coach, and they've got uh, 11 guys with at least one sack. And so they kind of come from everywhere, and they do some, you know, multiple things up front, some multiple looks. And um, so, you know, this is a game in which, there is a chance that Deshaun Watson is going to get touched in this game. And when we talked to Kareem yesterday, you know, he acknowledged that, yeah, you, you do have to get back to being able to get tackled and hit and absorb a blow and all those kinds of things. It's been a little while for Deshaun Watson. So nobody knows how he is going to respond to that kind of contact. And so I think you just have to be ready for whatever happens. Again, there's not a ton of precedent for rotator cuff injuries in the NFL, and Deshaun's hasn't responded the way anyone thought it would. And so I think you have to go out there, if you're going to start him, see how it goes, and have P.J. really ready, or DTR really ready, to go in and replace him if necessary. Yeah, and, and again, then we just kind of start this whole cycle again. I mean, Ideally, Ashley, what happens is you go out there Sunday, Deshaun plays, he finishes the game, doesn't really matter how he looks, you win the game, and you can go into Baltimore week and you know who your starting quarterback is going to be, and you can start to to kind of stack on top of that and hope to see sort of continued improvement from him. But um, if, if it does turn out that he has to leave the game, or if the shoulder, you know, he, he comes in Monday and the shoulder's killing him or whatever, like, you'd hate to be back to square one, but there's... There's a million ways this could play out, and, and that's one of them. I know. I mean, there's so many different scenarios, but I think, like, what is most important at this point, I don't think that they, for multiple reasons, could afford what happened in the Colts game to happen again. Like, I don't, it's just so much strife and uncertainty, and, you know, potentially at that point you're talking about how is Deshaun Watson's confidence coming back from this? If he now has two times where he's tried to start and things have gone horribly. So that's why I think, again, like it's it's important that they acknowledged and that he specifically acknowledged that he tried to come back too soon because it is a possibility, you know, again, that he goes out there and it doesn't look great. And 
I just don't think they can afford for that to happen. So I think best case scenario is that he really is feeling better than he was two weeks ago when he tried to go out there. Uh, Because I actually do think for both results on the field, but more of that intangible stuff, it's really important that doesn't happen again. Okay, Mary Kay, you mentioned something there real quick I want to touch on. Um, P.J. Walker, Kevin Stefanski said he's the backup on Wednesday. We did notice today, and again, we don't see team periods, but we did notice today when they were going through individuals, there were some reps where it went to Sean and then Dorian Thompson-Robinson and then P.J. Walker. Just an interesting kind of note. Now, the Browns this week, if I'm not mistaken, if they want to, they can have the 50, they can have the three quarterback rule apply to them because all three quarterbacks are on the 53-man roster. So this could be like the first time they could do that. So, you know, they could have Dorian Thompson Robinson as like the third quarterback or PJ Walker as the emergency third quarterback, I suppose. Is there any chance that even after what Kevin told us on Wednesday, DTR could actually be the number two? I suppose there is a chance. Uh, I was a little surprised that most of the time that I looked up and the second quarterback taking the rep after Deshaun in the early part open to the media, it was DTR most of the time. So again, that could have been flip-flopped when they got out into team drills. It could have even been Deshaun wasn't taking the first team reps when they got out in 11-on-11s. We don't know. Um, But nothing would surprise me at this point. Nothing would surprise me. And I do think uh, you know, that there was at least some consideration given, given to going back to DTR as the number two on Monday when Kevin declined to commit to PJ after his three turnover game uh, in that loss to the Seattle Seahawks. So I, I do think that, you know, that there is some sentiment, there is some thought that, hmm, you know, maybe DTR, you know, wouldn't be the worst choice in the world as their backup quarterback. And, you know, maybe it could even happen this game. Just another wrinkle to to keep an eye on, I guess. Okay, we're going to make our picks later, but I do want to get to this question because it's not just the Browns with quarterback questions. Clayton Toon or Kyler Murray? All right, so we don't know anything about Clayton Toon because none of us have heard Lance Reisland tell us about Clayton Toon yet. That's coming up next. Who, If, if Kyler Murray starts this game fresh off an ACL, um, you know, he's been participating fully in practice. I'd still be a little surprised if he gets out there, but Jonathan Gannon left the door open. Are you nervous about facing Kyler Murray, Mary Kay, or are the Browns kind of hitting him at the right time? He's such a weird quarter. He's one of those, like, so I didn't realize this, but I guess Lamar Jackson has this great record against the NFC. And one of the theories is like NFC teams don't ever see Lamar Jackson, so they don't know what to do with him. And Kyler Murray is like this tiny, fast, athletic quarterback, weird arm angles. And I think like until you experience him, you can't know how to defend him. Does it make you nervous at all that maybe Kyler could run out there? Or is it just kind of, you know, he's coming off an ACL. He probably can't be the same quarterback. We always talk about rust with Deshaun. How would you feel if it was Kyler running out there on Sunday? Well, I think if it was healthy Kyler, the Kyler that we've seen beat the Browns on two other occasions, the two other times that he has started against the Cleveland Browns, then I think the Cleveland Browns would need to be a little bit nervous themselves about about Kyler starting in this game because he is a dynamic, playmaking quarterback, and uh, you know he can make anything happen. And they've got Hollywood Brown. You know they they've played some good teams this year. They've been in games. And, you know, I, I don't think they're horrible. Drew Petzing, I think, would uh, would call a good game for Kyler. So I think the Browns, you know, might have something to be nervous about 
if Kyler gets out there. I mean, he's one of those guys that, you know, he just can make a play at any time. He can hit the home run at any time. Uh, he can hurt them with his legs. But again, coming off of a torn ACL, his first game back, having to face Miles Garrett, getting the ball out quickly. Uh, this is a different Cleveland Browns defense than the one he has beaten twice in his career. I think it would be very, very tough on him. Uh, but if he's the, the Kyler that, you know, that people know, uh, you know, the healthy version of himself, he definitely can be dangerous. And we did see, Ashley, what the quarterback run game did to this defense when, with Baltimore and Lamar. Now, Lamar is a very different runner than Kyler. They're, they're really different quarterbacks. But we, we did see what, if you have a quarterback that can move and run and make things happen, we did see that the Browns defense struggled with that. Yeah, you know, I actually, I pulled up my story from yesterday because it's not just the quarterback run game. Like, in general, they've struggled defending the run the last four games, and each of those games... They've given up 100-plus rushing yards. They've allowed opponents to average at least four yards per carry. The Seahawks ran for 114 yards against them, 6.7 yards per carry. Um, the Ravens, 131 yards. They were the team that averaged four yards per carry. Um, and, you know, we're talking about a team that in week three against the Titans, the week before they played the Ravens, only gave up 26 rushing yards. So I think they know they need to get back to that. I think it's helpful that maybe they know they need to get back to that. And Arizona, even though they are 1-7, is a good test, I think, regardless of whether Kyler Murray is able to play because they have been running the ball pretty well on offense. They're averaging 137.8 rushing yards per game coming into this one. That's the fourth best mark in the NFL right now, right behind the Dolphins in their yards per carry average, number two in the league, averaging over five per carry. And even though they don't have James Conner right now, he's still on injured reserve. They've kind of been doing some unique things, including using Rondale Moore as more of a running back. So it's definitely intriguing, I think, and maybe an underrated part of this game, regardless of what happens to Kyler. But he could have the potential to stretch that very thin in that regard if he doesn't have any rust. Okay, let's take a break. On the other side, Lance Rison will break down the Cardinals and give his three keys to the Browns winning. Then Tyler Shoemaker is going to join the show for his picks, and then we'll be back at the very end, and we will make our picks for the game. Welcome back to the Orange and Brown Talk <clears throat> podcast. We now welcome on Lance Reisland. Lance, how are you? Dan, how are you, Nate? I'm doing well, and I promised everybody in the first segment that they were going to get a lot of Clayton Toon talk here. You have done a lot of work on Clayton Toon. You're not getting this. Maybe you're getting this on some Arizona Cardinals podcast, or maybe you're getting this on some Houston Cougars podcast, or whatever. This is, you're not getting this on a Browns podcast <laughs> anywhere else. I feel good, good saying. So, Lance, let's do this. Tell me about the potential starter for the Cardinals on Sunday, Clayton Toon. Well, the first thing I like about him, <clears throat> excuse me, is that he's 24. So he's older. He played a long time in college. So some of his stats are, you know, eye-popping. Right? He had 1,500 uh, pass attempts. Uh, he threw for almost 12,000 yards, 104 touchdowns. Uh, kind of the knock on him is that he was kind of a system quarterback, right? So he's under Dana Holgerson, and he's part of that that air raid tree, which is very rhythmic. Uh, you know, can he get underneath center? Those guys are never t they never take a snap from underneath center. Uh, they're the you know the air raid guys are the guys who take the uh, quarterback center. Uh, you know, the kneel down from the gun, so they never go underneath center. <clears throat> Excuse me. So he's a guy that ha has always been in this air raid. Then he goes to the senior bowl and it, it does very very well. And I got all that film and I'm like, wow, he's really really talented. Then he goes to the combine, and I really like quarterbacks that throw at the combine because they're kind of putting it out there. This is what I do. This is how I run. 
And all of a sudden he went from a system guy. Now he runs a four, six. Now he has a 37 and a half inch vert. Now he has, um, you know, 112 broad jumps. So now he's just this pretty athletic guy who was in this system. Um, and then he, you know, he gets picked in the fifth round. So I thought he was just below those top tier guys, you know, coming out and he's got a lot of talent. Now, if you talk about some of the things, well, he's, he's a little bit undersized. He's six, two, about two ten, which is funny to say that's undersized, but when you're down there, you know, you know, and it's hard to explain to people, but these are such massive humans that that's, that's undersized. And he, and he is a little bit frail. Uh, the other thing he does is that when his clock gets sped up. Um, so <clears throat> if you watch him in the air raid, you know, air raid is one, two to three, you know, very, very systematic. When his clock gets sped up, he has a tendency to throw early and throw into coverage. Um, so that's kind of the deal on him. And his arm strength is not elite. It's solid, but he anticipates very well. You know, he's a guy who understands coverage. When you throw the ball 1,500 times in college, you understand coverage. You understand what people are trying to do. You understand the different looks. Um, I think he's got really good feet. Uh, I think he's going to be really calm. I do not think, you know, when you see him and you just see him standing, I, so I, I found some film that just him, like the quarterback's working out, the way he carries himself. Uh, this moment won't be too big for him. You know, you're talking about a guy who throws for 12,000 yards. That's 12,000 yards. And Houston plays, you know, they don't play in power five, but they play some good people. And he is a really talented guy who's been coached very well um, at the college level. I'm, uh, I'm a Holgerson fan. So he understands what he's doing and he'll be ready to play. He's a pro for a reason. And, and I like him and I might be, <laughs> I may be one of the few guys that like him, but I like him. And, you know, when I found out he might start, I was excited because I, I had an extensive breakdown of him, all his throws. So I watched hundreds and hundreds of throws and he can deliver the ball. He's going to, if it's windy, we'll see if he can drive it through. He's got to have pretty good conditions. Um, that might be one of the knacks on him as he gets into the winter months here in the NFL, but he's a pretty, he's a capable quarterback. There's no question. So you mentioned something that, and you could say this probably about a lot of rookie quarterbacks making their first start, but you did mention um, kind of the timing, the, the, you know, it sounds like the Browns can maybe disrupt him. And that might be a way to kind of throw him off and maybe maybe get some opportunities for some turnovers. Well, yeah, he's going to, you know, and once again, when he's, when his clock gets sped up and he, even at Houston, he had 40 interceptions. Um, you know, when, when he gets off rhythm and off, you know, he does a really good job of this is the cover. This is what I see. His footwork is in, you know, it, when everything is kind of on track, right, that's when he's really, really good. In the NFL, you don't get that a bunch. That's why everybody, you know, kind of is working on the off-platform throws because that's what the NFL is. You're never really going to get to sit in the pocket over and over and over. Uh, Humphreys, Paris Johnson, who I think is going to be a good tackle, they're, they, they're struggling right now in pass protection. And uh, the Browns are better defensively. So they, they absolutely are going to speed him up. Um, and there is a great chance because um, the only time he even looks kind of overwhelmed at Houston is when he gets pressure and when he gets uh, immediate pressure in that A and B gap. So um, he does a nice job of stepping up with edge rushers, but I see the Browns getting A and B gap pressure on him and, and speeding that clock, clock up. And the Browns are better in the secondary than, uh, than they are at receiver. So I think it'll be a good matchup. How does he move around? Uh, you know, he's much more athletic than you think. Once again, being in that air raid system, you know, you would think that, so, you know, so if you look at some of his, uh, some of his numbers, he had um, four, he ran a four, six, four, he had a 4.25 shuttle. He had a one, one point one five ten yard split, which is what I like better than even the 40, especially for quarterback, because like a defensive lineman, they measure the quarterback is that initial burst too, right? The ability to get out of the way or get out of the pocket. So he has good bursts. He's a much better athlete. 
every that was kind of his knock. And I'm not sure people kind of went off that knock when they when they saw him at the senior bowl, which he did very well, and saw him at the combine. He did it all uh, you know, in front of people with the pressure on. He ran really, really well. He's got good feet. Um, he just doesn't have to do it very much in the air raid. That's not part of the air raid scheme. The air raid scheme is one, two to three, ball out, one, two, three, ball out, one, ball out. It's it's that constant rhythm. Um, which is very successful and guys have had great success with it. You know, you know, he's got had to learn to get underneath center, all the footwork, everything that goes with it. But uh, he's a capable guy. He's a good athlete. Uh, he's a little bit frail, but he, he can make all the throws. Let's real quickly talk about the other quarterback the Browns could potentially face. And that's Kyler Murray. I mean, you want to talk about <clears throat> undersized. Uh, Kyler Murray is one of the most unique quarterbacks you'll ever see. I contend that he's one of the most fun quarterbacks I've ever watched in person. Um, I still don't know exactly what I think of him as a quarterback. I think I've, I've always kind of liked watching him, but if Kyler's able to go and obviously he'll be coming off that ACL, it'll be his first start in forever, uh, almost a year. What does he do for this offense? Like, like what does he bring to this offense? Well, he brings what the Browns have had trouble with that mobile quarterback, right? So he's going to, he, I don't think they would have designed runs like they, they did, uh, before he got hurt, especially the first game back. So I don't think they're going to have design counters and and bash and, and zone read and things like that. I don't think they're going to do any of that. But what he'll give you is that third down scramble, which the Browns have had trouble staying plastered to the receivers. So I think that's what he can give you. Um, they have some guys in the flanks that are pretty quick, undersized, Marquise Brown and those guys. So they have some guys that give him trouble if he's in there and he can move. Um, that would be my – that's what I think he brings to the table is his ability to move, especially on third down. Um, you know, Kyler Murray is very underrated in the pocket as well. He can make all the throws. The idea that he's small and can't see over stuff, it's – you never throw over people. I've never thrown over anybody. You throw you throw in lanes, and um, he does a good job of moving his feet and getting those throwing lanes. So if he plays and they don't run him and he can move, that could cause the, that could cause the Browns trouble because they struggle staying attached and plastered to those receivers uh, in scramble situations. All right, let's get to the game itself. Uh, let's start with um, some offensive keys for the Browns to winning this game. Well, first offensive keys, they got a Bach linebacker, Kasir White, and Buda Baker. Now, Buda Baker's not having the year that he normally has, but he's a great football player, and he's great inside the box. He's a football player, meaning he is a guy who can wreck a game, make a big pick, a strip, a strip sack, a strip, you know, punch the ball out in, in – uh, from a receiver. So he's kind of a game changer. And then Kasir White is a thumper. He's 6'2", about 235, 240, you know, 60 plus tackles on the year. He's a tackle, tackle, thumper guy. So they got to block those two. They got to count for him in the run game. Um, their D line is very average. Um, they're not huge. Um, they have a couple guys who are, are, are bigger, but that's the key. A first offensive key is they got to find Kasir White and they got to find Buda Baker uh, and get those two blocked. It sounds like their pass rush kind of comes in waves. They don't really have like one guy necessarily, but they have a few guys that, that can maybe get there. Yeah. Collins is good. They'll bring, um, you know, BJ Angelari, the the rookie, he's pretty good. They'll bring some, they'll bring some different stunts. They don't create a lot of pressure with just their front guys. Uh, they are a lot more odd front than I thought they'd be. Uh, they're pretty multiple up front. They, they'll get real, um, real exotic, about as exotic as I've seen on third down. Uh, with no down linemen, everybody standing up, uh, which is one of my other keys to the game. But, um, yeah, they're going to do it. They're going to try to be tricky. They're going to try to be gimmicky on third down. Um, but, yeah, they kind of do it in waves. Uh, Zavad, like I said, Collins is pretty good. He's got three and a half on the year. Uh, Uncellari is pretty good. They'll bring some guys off the edge, some backup guys. They kind of, you know, they none of the guys are really bad, but none are stars either, some of the, uh, some of the guys they bring in. So, 
Um, it's more about um, the run game getting, you know, getting white blocked and getting Buda Baker blocked because I think they'll pass protect. I think the Browns will pass protect very well. So what else do we need to know then about the, this defense? Well, I think they're the, as good as White are. The, the other backer Woods, he's their their thumper. So I think you can attack inside with a slot, but especially uh, David Njoku. I think David Njoku against zero eight in uh, passing situations uh, is a very good matchup. I also think their corners their corners um, don't play the ball very well in the air, and um, that's uh, Hamilton and Wilson, Marco Wilson. So they're very aggressive guys, guys with a lot of tackles. And they cover pretty well, but they don't play the ball very well in the air. They've been beaten when the ball is in the air, which is kind of what Cooper does very well. But I like the matchup inside with Njoku because, again, that's a shorter throw for Walker if he's playing. Uh, it's a shorter row if um, Watson's playing. You know, it doesn't have to stretch the field. I think it's a matchup they can exploit because those guys are good against the run, but they struggle in pass coverage. Their entire back seven is not very good at covering uh, right now. All right, let's flip it to uh, to the other side. The Browns defensively, what what are their keys? Well, the obvious choice is you got to make him one dimensional, right? He's got. Uh, I, I, obviously, I'm the big uh, Clayton Tune fan, but he they got to make it. He's throwing one pass in the NFL, right? So he, you have got to make them one dimensional. You've got to stop the run on first down and make it second and third and down. I'm sorry, first down, make it second and third and long all all day. Then you put pressure on him, you speed up his clock. So the first thing you got to do is they got to say, you know, we are going to load the box. We are going to, which the Browns do anyway, regardless. And this is what I talk about with Schwartz is they're not practicing anything different. They do what they do. So they're going to stop the run and then they're going to pressure. And I think the the Cardinals are going to have a lot of problems with that pressure, especially if they put the onus on Clayton Toon because he's just so inexperienced. What, I guess, what should Browns fans be worried about? Um, like, like what can, uh, Aside, like, let's say Kyler Murray's not playing in this game, and even even if he does, let's say he's maybe not quite the old Kyler Murray yet. What should Browns fans be concerned about? What's the scenario where Arizona kind of continues to put some big plays on this defense like we've seen the past couple weeks? Well, Dean Mercado is now their starting tailback, right? Connor's out. So Dean Mercado, he ran well last week. He had some good runs. They run the ball very good. They, they do so many things offensively. Um, if they're basic, they run the ball pretty well, and he's a pretty good running back. So you worry about them being able to control the clock a little bit. The Browns have struggled a little bit with their tackling. Um, they struggle a little bit with, um, uh, you know, the fundamentals getting lined up. Uh, you know, th- that would be their the that would be my biggest concern. The, my other concern would be Trey McBride because uh, for the Browns, uh, not that um, Delpit and Walker and JOK have covered poorly. But McBride had 10 catches last week for 95 yards and a touchdown. So he is a pretty good receiving tight end. He had a really nice touchdown catch last week. He brings problems because I don't think the Cardinals match up very well outside with the Browns secondary. But I think inside McBride uh, is a pretty even match in pass in pass running or pass route running against those three guys. So, and again, because Clayton Toon, just like with Walker, it's shorter throws, it's better matchups. It's it's not you're not throwing the ball outside the hash where problems can happen. So um, they got to find Trey McBride because I think he's a guy who will be a security blanket for Toon if he's in there for sure. All right, it is time now to get your pick for this game. 
Well, you know, let's be honest. His Browns are better. And there's times, you know, one of my, I did a podcast, I was talking to somebody earlier this week and the Browns are better and, but these are NFL guys, right? So you got to play. And it's the same thing with the Browns played the 49ers. No one thought they had a chance, right? So these are NFL guys, NFL caliber guys that can play, but the Browns are better. So the Browns have to worry about themselves. The Browns have to worry about what they do. And sometimes you can play and the other team's better. If the Browns play to their peak, they're going to win regardless of how Arizona plays. So uh, I got the Browns twenty four seven. I think the I think the Cardinals score late. I think the Browns are in. I think the Browns control this one um, throughout because they're gonna they're good. That defense is going to get some turnovers like they've been doing, and they're going to give Walker or Watson, who's ever in there, some short fields. They can run the ball. There's some matchups that they can exploit in the pass game with Najoku on the backers, Cooper on the uh, the uh, DBs. Um, and I just don't think they're going to be able to generate enough offense against this really good Browns defense. Yeah, I wanted to ask you one more thing. I, I forgot to ask you about this on their defense. Obviously, Jonathan Gannon comes from Philadelphia. Are there similarities between? Obviously, the talent is so different, right? Like he doesn't have the talent he had in Philadelphia. But are there similarities between how the the two defenses play? Well, I'd say the only similarity is how multiple they are. So they, you know, when when you go into the game, I try to get a, a just a feed, a, a feel on their their roster and what front they're going to be. And so they they're they're stated as a fourth forefront or an even front where they're not going to cover the center, but they played a lot of odd fronts. So I say one of the the initial similarity would be how much uh, how diverse they are in their fronts, odd fronts, even fronts. Uh, like I said, the they're going to be they're going to have in third long situations. The Browns can't be afraid to run the ball in third and eight and under because there's times there's no defensive lineman. So yeah, that created that creative um, things that the uh, the Eagles get away with, and they get away with it because they're well coached and they have really good players. When you do some of that stuff with bad players, it, it's not really sound at times. And the the Cardinals do some unsound things because they don't quite have the talent that the Eagles do. So you know, if you get third and eight, there's a, there was three down three times that they had the ball third and six to eight, and they had no defensive linemen, and they were all standing up. Browns run the ball right down their throats there. That's that's that that that'll take that away. So. Um, yeah, there, that would be the only similarities, um, because the talent level is not the same, but you're going to get a bunch of different stuff, uh, fronts, blitzes, corner blitzes, cat blitzes, strong safeties in the box, Buda Baker will blitz, uh, those backers are pretty good. White runs around, but yeah, you're going to see, that would be the similarity is this, the diverseness uh, of that defense. Okay. There you go. Impress your friends in the, in the Muni lot with all the Clayton tune knowledge that you just learned here on, on this segment from Lancer Iceland. You should probably, you should credit him. If you do, but whatever, if you're just out there trying to impress some people in the muni lot, that's fine. Lance, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure you'll forgive people if they, if they don't credit you. Take it as your own. Absolutely. You did the work. <laughs> Absolutely. I love it. All right. All right, Lance. Appreciate the time. As always. Thanks for having me. Welcome back to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. And it is time as we do every week to welcome on Tyler Shoemaker. Tyler, how are you? Hey, good, Dan. Good to be back. All right, let's get to it. We, we're going to start off like we did last week. I want to hear the top five teams in your index. We do have a nickname for the bottom five. I'll save that here for a minute. But uh, let's <laughs> let's get the top five teams here in your index. Yeah, so a new number one this week. Uh, the Ravens actually jumped up number one, followed by the Bills, the Niners, the Cowboys, and the Jags are still still hanging right there in the fifth spot. So they're <laughs> uh, they're hanging around. I loved that Jags win. Just a kind of one of those tough, like bad weather wins. Um, yep. I, I thought that was really impressive. Interesting, you know, the Bills. I feel like people, people either just don't want them to be good, or they just kind of forget about them sometimes. Yeah. Um, but I find it interesting that um, 
that you've got the bills uh, that the bills end up so high in your index. Yeah, I mean they've I mean pretty much since since the preseason, I mean they've been they've been really really highly rated. I mean their their metrics all all check out. So uh I'm I'm very curious about their their game against the Bengals this week because the Bengals are a team that I think they're playing much better now than they have for the season. So I I that's a team that I think maybe my numbers are perhaps a little low on right now. So, you know, my numbers like the Bills um plus the two points in that game, but I'm I'm a little nervous about that one. I'm I'm not going to play it. Yeah, is that kind of what you do with a team like the Bengals, who, of course, you know, they had those injury issues with Joe Burrow early, and they look, they look like a completely different team. Do you just kind of stay away until you can see if there's a correction there? Yeah, yeah, pretty pretty much, because, I mean, even if I try to play the game of like, okay, I'm going to adjust for Joe Burrow's injury early in the season, that, that just becomes a really slippery slope that then you got to do to for all the teams, and then it's it, it just becomes kind of a, an iterative exercise where – if I'm doing it for this team, then okay, well, that impacted their performance against this team. And it, it just, it kind of spirals out of control. So I, I generally just stay away until I feel like I have a good handle on a team. Okay, now we got to get to the bottom five. Before we do that, uh, one of our Football Insider subscribers, I sent out the assignment, give us a name. And I believe, I hope I'm not, uh, I should have looked this up before I hit record. Uh, I, I didn't get a chance to. I believe it was Tom who uh, participates in our Hey Mary K pod all the time, all of that came up with the name for the bottom five teams he called them the Hugh Jackson five I loved it (laughs) had to go with it the Hugh Jackson five who are they this week the Hugh Jackson five that that is a great name uh so the Broncos actually who have been dead last for pretty much the last month or so in my ratings big win over the Chiefs they jump up they're now at number 28 followed by the Bears the Giants, the Commanders, and dead last, the the Hugh Jackson Award of the Week is the Raiders. Well, the Raiders are living up to it, certainly. Uh, with the, with the week they've had, they are certainly living up to being on the on the bottom of that list. I didn't realize how bad that team was going to be, and um, I, I there's a few teams you could certainly make the case of the worst team in the league, but the Raiders certainly belong in in that discussion for sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I I can't believe how how far they've come. I mean, I, I know there were there was some, you know, a little bit of preseason hype for them. You know, they get they get Jimmy G, and now he's benched. It's uh, they're playing Aiden. They're playing Aiden O'Connell. So it's uh, it, it's wild out there in Vegas. All right, let's get to this Browns Cardinals game. Uh, we were talking before uh, we hit record. I had actually looked at this game earlier this afternoon. It was uh, Browns favored by eight. And over the course of about two to three hours, maybe uh, the line moved down to seven and a half. I'm just curious, and this is on DraftKings. I, I haven't checked other spots. I'm just curious when a line moves like that, and like in a weird time, how do you view that? Does that mean anything? Is it just something that just happened? Yeah. Well, there's no uniform answer to that question, but I, I think what happens a lot of times, especially at this point in the week, as news. Two, two, so two things happen at this point in the in the week. Number one, injury news starts to trickle out. Like you find you you start to get a better idea of who is and isn't going to play. So that's part of it. And then the other part of it is limits at sports books get increased as the week goes on. So people are allowed to bet more money. Um, so you, so you start to kind of see betters that are now able to bet more money come in and, and and bet those limit bets, which in turn moves the line. So that that's two things that kind of at play that can move lines here late in the week like this. Well, here's a case for something I know that you like to, to talk about shopping around. I did just pull this game up on FanDuel, and it's actually got the Browns minus eight and a half. So 
Um, obviously, you got to look at, at your, you know, the juice on all of that, but it's actually not that different from FanDuel. It's minus, so it's Cardinals at minus 108, favored by seven and a half on DraftKings. And then it's minus 115 Cardinals by eight and a half on FanDuel. So um, a little wiggle room there if, if you're thinking about picking the Cardinals. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I de- definitely encourage you to have, you know, as many, as many books as you can get an account at and feel comfortable, you know, putting your money at, uh, I, I definitely would encourage you to do so because in the long term, getting those extra, you know, half points or full points on your bets really makes a difference. Okay. Let's get into this game. What, what do you have on this game? So I actually make this Browns minus nine and a half uh, and I project a total at 45 and a half. Okay. And that's interesting that then it seems like there's value. And based on what you have versus what we're seeing, because obviously those lines are anywhere between seven and a half and eight and a half. And the totals I'm seeing are 37 and a half. Yeah. Yeah. And so that it, it, I don't want to say it makes it difficult, but it does kind of make force me into a decision when, when my projection, you know, is pretty strong on both the side and the total. I then I, I I've learned over the years, cause I used to just be like, okay, well then I'm going to bet the Browns and the over. But I've found, uh, and I would have to do more like actual research on this, but just my my feel from doing it over the years is that when I do that, I end up splitting the the bets. I, I end up going one-on-one. So I do find it harder to get a grasp on the side and the total in the same game. So I then have to make a decision of how, how I want to approach the angle. Uh, and we'll get to my bet in a minute. But I, so I did kind of take that into consideration. Like, okay, I like the Browns here. And the like the over, how can I put that into one bet? So I, I was able to to make that make that choice, get get a little creative here with my bet uh, on the Browns here this week. Okay, so uh, so go ahead, let's hear it. So I'm going to take the Browns. So I, I actually have two bets. I'm going to take the Browns first half team total over ten and a half. And then I also this is this is a pretty creative kind of side bet here that I liked at, at some plus money. So you can bet, um, I think this was on DraftKings, you can bet um, not just on the team total, but you can bet them in what they call bands, which is, you know, the Browns are going to score from this many points to this many points. So the Browns total points from 21 to 30 is plus 155. Uh, And that's, I mean, by my projection, by the odds makers, both of those projections would indicate that the Browns team total is probably going to fall somewhere in that 21 to 30 range. So getting plus 155 on that, I thought that was pretty good value. Okay. That works. Those, those, those are two good options there. Um, okay. Let's get into some league wide things. What's your favorite bet out here on the board? I think my favorite bet right now would be the Raiders and giants under 37. I mean, that that's a low total, but I, I was looking at the season long results earlier today and totals of 38 or less this year have gone under and they've got the under has gone six, one and one this year. And I projected at 36, you know, and my projections generally aren't going to go that low because it's based on like what the average team would be expected to do. And the average NFL team generally scores more points than that. So the fact that I actually project this game under and, you know, the, these 38 or, or less, totals have, have gone under so frequently i'm gonna i'm gonna play the under in the raiders giants well i've got good news for browns fans too uh, uh, you know that game is an afternoon game a late afternoon game you've got cowboys eagles bills Bengals going on at the same time um so you can kind of bet that under and just not you don't even have to watch that game you don't have to just like I, in fact i would encourage it. you not just hold to. your nose yeah <laughs> 
<laughs> so just just check in around like eight o'clock and, and see how you did on on that one. You don't actually have to watch that one. What's a stay away for you this week? Uh, so I, I do want to throw out one more bet that I liked. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna take the Cowboys plus three against the Eagles. I think the Eagles have a great they have a great record. I think we talked about this last week. They've been kind of like fake good. Like their their metrics do not stack up. I mean, you know, we we went over my top five. They're not in it. They're number nine for me. You know, despite their record, uh, I think this is the week they're gonna get that's gonna catch up with them. I think the Cowboys are gonna beat them. Uh, so I do like that. As far as a stay away. Um, nothing really jumps out. I mean, obviously, like, I don't think I would want to bet on the side of the, the Raiders giants. Um, you know, my, my number shows value on the Raiders, but again, that's not taking in, into account because not only do you have to take into account that, okay, they benched their starters. So now they have a new quarterback, but also the impact that that has just on the team psychologically. Um, that that's, that's a side I would not want to play. Okay, this is my, I know I do this like the random bet of the week. I'm going to call this my just dumb guy bet this week because I know London games are like, or like, this is not a London game. I think this is a Germany game, but the, the, the Euro, the European games are kind of tough to figure out, but the dumb guy in me always looks at who's traveling there early and who's traveling there late. And I love to look at first halves. So like the bills and the, um, Bills and Jags. The Jags were over there for two weeks in a row. The Bills didn't travel there until I think they had their first practice on Friday before the game. And so I took the Jags first half money line. The Jags ended up winning that game anyway. So I don't know if it had anything to do with what I'm implying it does. But the Chiefs aren't going over till late. The Dolphins went over on Monday. And so the dumb guy in me thinks, all right. I think the Chiefs can win this game. I think they have a really good defense, um, and I think that could cause problems for Miami. But Miami first half money line plus 102. That's actually one I took. Am I an idiot? <laughs> no, I, I, I don't hate it. I, I don't hate it. Um, I, I think your rationale is is spot on, and those are the type of things that, you know, in the NFL can make you a really good handicapper is when you look at things like travel, especially when you're talking about international travel. Um my number on the game is Chiefs minus four, but you know I've mentioned before I run several formulas on the side to try to you know disprove what what my TSI rating is, and three of the four other formulas I'm running have the Dolphins actually winning the game by like a point. So I, I don't hate it at all. I, I think I think at plus money that that's a, a solid uh, solid bet. Yeah, and then you know with the nine thirty kickoff, I know if I won or lost that bet by eleven o'clock, I can just watch the rest yeah. of the game. And so <laughs> there you go. You know. That's that makes life easy. Uh, OK, Tyler, uh, as always, where can people find you? Yeah, you can uh, read my writing, read, read all my best bets for college and NFL at vsan.com. Uh, you can hear me on the Buckeye Talk podcast every Friday as well, obviously, as as here. Uh, you can check out my podcast, the Calculated Risk podcast on YouTube and every podcast platform. I do that with Kelly Ford, K Ford ratings. Uh, so that's, you know, if you like like NFL or college football from the kind of analytical perspective, the betting perspective. Uh, definitely find me there. Can I throw one more at you? This is this yeah. is my random just scrolling bet right here. <laughs> Seahawks plus six. That game's in Baltimore, and Baltimore was number they were number one, right? In, in yep. your rankings, yeah. So, yeah, maybe not, but I don't know. That's, I think the Seahawks that, are. I think feel like the Seahawks are kind of good. They are. They are kind of good, and I think they're they're coming along nicely this year. Um. That's a that's one of those games where my official projection is nine and a half, but then when I look at the other formulas I run, 
they're more like four, four and a half. So uh, <laughs> I've kind of got split split numbers here on that. My like I said, my official projection would be Ravens minus nine and a half there. Um, but but there's definitely some some numbers indicating that that you might be onto something there with the Seahawks. Well, there we go. I came up with one random scroll bet <laughs> of the week. All right, Tyler, appreciate it. We'll talk to you again next week. All right, thanks, Dan. Welcome back to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Browns Cardinals preview wrapping up here. Thanks to Tyler Shoemaker. And of course, thanks again to Lance Reisland. It is time here on Thursday night to make our picks. Browns Cardinals, Cleveland Browns Stadium, one o'clock kickoff. Right now, the Browns are seven and a half point favorites. The total is 37 and a half. Uh, not a lot of confidence here that the Cardinals are going to win this game. The Browns' money line is minus 345. So the Browns' pretty heavy favorites to at least win this game outright. Um, and then again, a, a line that's over a touchdown. I don't know how we pick this game on a Thursday when we don't even know which... We don't know who's going to be starting quarterback for either team. <laughs> um, that being said, I think because... I think because of who the Cardinals are and sort of where they're at as an organization, it kind of makes it a little bit easier. I'm going to guess none of us have a good feel for this game, right? Does anyone have a good feel? I mean, I have a good feel, I think, for who I'm picking to win, but not a score. Like, sounds, that's what's so hard. Sounds like a volunteer, Mary oh, Kay. Boy, I should have <laughs> kept my mouth shut. I should have learned my lesson. Um, okay, so I will... To get rid of the suspense, I was going to pick the Browns in this game. I still am, obviously. Um, I just think that regardless, like you said, Dan, of both teams being a bit uncertain at quarterback, like the Cardinals just traded Joshua Dobbs, who has started their games for them this year. We know they won't be seeing him. Um, the Browns are at home. They, I think, are talking very emphatically about things they need to clean up. They almost got their third win with P.J. Walker as their starter on Sunday, um, save for a very unfortunate interception that he threw. So I just think, knowing the Cardinals are 1-7, they do some things well. I don't think they really do anything well enough that this Browns defense can't overcome them in some capacity. And I don't think they're good enough to pull off like a last second win like the Seahawks just did. So that being said, not knowing who's going to be playing quarterback, I'm not going to go too high scoring, but we'll follow a bit Mary Kay's philosophy about points get scored somehow, right? So I'm going to go Browns 23, Cardinals, I'll say 17. Okay. I... I thought I no, I thought you were gonna pick my score there for a oh, second. Wow. As you were talking, I was thinking about my score. Um so I guess I'll just go I I just have to think about where both teams kind of are right now. Like the Cardinals, I don't know if they're actually tanking. I feel like maybe they are. Um like I don't know if Kyler Murray is their future. I don't know if they think Kyler Murray's their future. They're at a point where they're going to have a chance to get one of these really good quarterbacks coming out, including maybe Caleb Williams. Um, so I don't know if I see the Cardinals. I, I think this is a feisty team. I think this is a team that puts up a fight, but we've kind of seen it a few times where they have a really good first half. And then when it's time to make adjustments and when it's time to to kind of come out and actually win a game, that's hard for a team to do. The talent gap tends to show up in those second halves. And I think this Browns team, no matter who starts at quarterback, going against either a rookie or a guy who's fresh off an ACL playing his first game in almost a year, I, I just don't, like if you're the Browns, I've said this a few times, you cannot lose a football game like this. So 
I like the Browns to win it. I don't know if they're going to put on some kind of big show. I, I could see a really efficient rushing attack, just kind of controlling the clock, controlling the football, not, you know, letting, if Deshaun plays, letting him make some, some confidence building throws, make everybody feel good about him. I like the Browns. I, I had 23 points too. I like the Browns 23 to 14 in this game. Uh, Mary Kay, what's your pick? You know, once again, it, it's always hard to pick, and these games really haven't gone uh, the way that we have expected them to go per se. There is one, there are a couple things about the Cardinals that I that I think are pretty interesting. Uh, they can sack the quarterback, and, you know, Deshaun does take sacks. So even if he's out there and you get your QB1 back, he does take sacks. So these guys are going to come after him. They're going to be really aggressive. They're going to try to put him on the back of that shoulder again and see if they can't get him a little bit rattled and off his game. They're eighth in the NFL with 24 sacks. So I think that's kind of interesting. And then from a rushing standpoint, the Cardinals are fourth in the NFL in rushing. I mean, they are just two notches behind the Browns with 137.8 yards per game. And the Browns' run defense has been bad. It's been really bad the the past four games or so. So, you know, I think that's something to really think about. And then the other area is the fact that uh, the Browns are are just a big old giveaway machine. (laughs) Now, that's true. Maybe that will change if Deshaun is at quarterback. Maybe it won't change if Deshaun is at quarterback. But they have given the ball away a league high 17 times. They're at number 30 minus seven in the turnover differential, and it's absolutely remarkable that they have a winning record when they're at minus seven. Now, the Cardinals, on the other hand, are right in the middle of the pack at plus one in the turnover differential, and that's the great equalizer in a football game is who is taking the ball away and who is winning the turnover battle. So if the Browns continue to give it away the way that they have, they're not going to win the game. So they gotta, they've got to shore that up if they want to come out of here at 5-3, and three, heading into those two next tough battles against the Ravens and against the Steelers. So those are some things I'm thinking about heading into this game. But I still have the Browns winning. I have a hard time believing that they're going to lose at home to a 1-7 and seven football team. Uh, so I do have them winning, and I, you know, I always throw a little bit more points in there than you guys do. Um, so I'm going to go 27 to 20 because sometimes things just get nutty these days. And uh, so I'm going to go 27, 20. Browns win this one. Okay, there we go. What? I shouldn't even ask this. What are we? What's Monday like if the Browns <laughs> lose this game? That's kind of what I keep bad. thinking. Like it's bad. Like you've got to win this game because on Monday if they lose this game. Like I don't. I might just call off that day. I, I might say, just call in sick. I might or delete my Twitter. <laughs> like I might genuinely have to delete my Twitter. At least delete the app off of my phone because man, that's going to be brutal. I think this fan base already has so much angst in it because of what's going on with Deshaun Watson and the injury. I don't want to know what it's like if they lose at home to the one in seven Cardinals. Well, I also think there's another intangible here, and that is uh, the Cardinals players are going to understand that this is Jonathan Gannon's homecoming game. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe that is going to mean something to them. You know, maybe it's not. Um, But, you know, they might just want to go out there and, and play really, really hard 
for their, their head coach. And by the time they get to Sunday, they're going to understand. They have some things planned for the weekend where they're going to understand how important this game is to Jonathan Gannon. So I think that, you know, they might be able to dig deep and, you know, play with a little bit of extra passion for their head coach in his big homecoming game. And, uh, you know, if he's smart, he will tell his story because he's got an incredible story about, um, you know, just he was supposed to be a really good NFL player. And then, you know, he had an injury that, that derailed his college career and he's just got an interesting story. And I think that they're going to have some incentive to want to play well for him. So I think the Browns are going to have to be a little bit wary of that as well. There are definitely some intangibles and I think those things do matter. I think those, those are real when it comes to these, like these one week to week football games, like that stuff really does matter. I mean, to even go like the Jonathan Gannon thing a step further, like we asked Jim Schwartz about it today. Like he's the guy who took over for Jim Schwartz in Philly. Like there's some familiarity there. We don't even have all the time to get into Drew Petzing and his, not just his relationship in Cleveland and the fact that he was here the last three years. He's now their offensive coordinator. He's been with Kevin Stefanski for what his whole career basically, right? Cause he was with him back in Minnesota yeah. as well. Um, so he really, you know, came up the coaching ranks on Kevin Stefanski's staffs. Like there's not many more guys who are as familiar with what's going on in this building that you're going to see a coordinator this year. So there's those things are all interesting. Yeah. I mean, he knows how Kevin calls plays yeah. as well as anybody. I mean, he was, he was right there. He's the tight ends coach. He was the quarterbacks coach. I mean, he knows, you know, there's a part of me that wonders if he was like getting groomed to be a play caller here at some point or, or I don't see if Alex Van Pelt ever left. I I know Kevin really liked him. So that's a guy that like knows Kevin as well. So there's a lot of like threads here where guys really know each other's systems. Well, that being said, that almost, well, that helps the Cardinals. Maybe that favors the Browns a little bit too, Mary Kay, just because the Browns do have, I, I think across the board, the Browns have more talent. So maybe it'll just come down to the more talented team ultimately has enough to win this game at the end. Yeah, I mean, it, it could. It's hard to say who will have the advantage in terms of knowing each other's personnel, knowing each other's schemes. But I do think it lends itself to, you've got to change things up a little bit. You have to give... Uh, you know, just a new wrinkle or a new look here and there that you know that uh, Drew Petzing, you know, hasn't, you know, tipped Jonathan Gannon off to something that you're going to do. I mean, he's probably very instrumental in the scouting report, uh, you know, for Jonathan Gannon to know, you know, what's going on on, you know, on the offensive side of the ball uh, that they can try to attack. So, um, so yeah, there, there are a lot of little intangible things here <laughs> that, that could factor in. Uh, but I still think in the final analysis, the Browns are going to go out at home and beat this one in 17. Yeah. And like, you know, sign stealing has been a big thing, right? In college football recently. I mean, guess who knows all the Browns terminology and hands. And I'm sure a lot of stuff has changed, but you know, like Kevin's been here. A lot of this stuff is kind of baked in, I think. So the Browns have to be, have to be wary of that. Maybe they're changing some of that stuff up too. So I don't know. should be interesting. That's the, the chess match of, of football here coming this week. All right. Browns and Cardinals, 1 o'clock Sunday. We'll have full coverage at cleveland.com slash Browns. Make sure you're subscribed to this podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We do a post-game pod every week uh, as well. That usually goes up later on Sunday night. Uh, Follow us on Instagram, search Orange and Brown Talk. I just put up a blooper from Friday's video. Almost lost our tripod, almost lost my phone. It was very tragic. Um, And also find us on YouTube, search Cleveland Browns on cleveland.com. And one more thing, 
become a football insider subscriber cleveland.com slash browns the blue banner at the top of the page for that thanks to lance thanks to tyler for mary Kay and ashley i'm dan thanks for listening everybody 